This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Diego ready to go with the first pitch on its way. Swing and a line drive left side of the infield. Fielded by Wendell. He made the catch! Race win! Race win! Race win! And they're on their way to the American League Championship Series as they knock off the New York Yankees 2-1. to one. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Just a swing and a drive, hit well in the air towards right. Mookie Betts going back to the wall. Gone! A first-inning homer for Randy Arozarena, number 10 of the postseason. It's one nothing Rays. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning and welcome to our show today from Ferg's in St. Petersburg, right across the street from the ballpark. On the show today, we'll visit with Nelson Cruz about being with the Rays. Dave and Andy will discuss the week gone by. We'll chat with Chad Matola about the impact of Nelson Cruz, discuss signing the entire draft class with Rob Metzler. Prospect Taj Bradley stops by and we'll visit too with Chad Jennings of The Athletic to preview the upcoming series at Boston. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball. Our feature guest this week is Nelson Cruz. And first of all, welcome. How are you settling in and how are you enjoying it so far with your new team? Ah, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's been great. It's a uh, great uh, process, as smooth as it can be, you know. <laughs> Trying to find a place to stay I can call home. Still living at, at the hotel. But I think uh, in a few days I will have the house, so uh, good news. This is the first, people don't realize this, you've gone through so much in your career. This is the first time you've been traded in 15 years. How challenging was that for you? And do you remember that last time you were traded? Yeah, definitely remember that. You know, that's uh, something that will stick with you, especially you got traded from AAA to the big leagues. Uh, uh, that's always good news. I mean, they, uh, the people who trade you once you more, a little bit more than the one you are before. So it's still uh, a challenge because you never... Uh, ready for that you know even you expecting it but you're never ready for that situation but like i say it cannot be more smooth and more enjoyable you know everybody has been welcoming with open arms and i'd be really happy and excited the way everybody um how welcome me how have they made you comfortable and what types of things have they done that have really helped and who's helped the most do you think um i mean the whole thing well, i think is keep uh cash is the one that make sure he's always asking questions about where I at, uh, how I feel, uh, anything that he can do to help. So he's the, the leader of the team, and so he's the one who always uh, want to make sure everybody is also on point, is in point, and, and happy where they are. You've had such an unbelievable career, um, but it took you a while. When did you feel you had, I wouldn't say figured it out, but really felt established yourself? And what, what was the turning point? What changed everything? I think uh, last... Part of 2007, you know, um, I got sent down a few times a year. In the last part of the, that year, I feel like uh, uh, something clicked. So uh, since that point on, even la- next year, 2008, I went to spring training, tried to make the fifth outfield spot. 
something that uh, uh, I lost the job and I got put in waivers. Uh, I think that also was a wake-up call, you know. Uh, uh, so I went to the minors and I had to do what I did, you know, to be able to, to be back to the big league, especially with that team. But I always I believe, I'm a believer, so I always think that God put you in the spot where he believes you're going to be at your best. And every step was a process that, that, that create who I am right now. And by 2009, you're already an All-Star for the first time. Was there anything that changed that allowed you? Because at that point, then you become a really established big leaguer and became the player that you are now, so to speak. How did it happen? What changed? What, or what was that big step? Um, I think just the confidence to, to uh, first, you know, um, just be yourself. And, and secondly, just uh, embrace the moment, you know, and know that um, at the end of the day, you you the one who got there and compete, you know. Uh, so that that was a, I think the the biggest change that I did myself, knowing that I gonna be there every day, playing every day. Uh, that also gave you an extra confidence. You mentioned Michael Young, I think was a guy who helped you feel comfortable. What does he do, and how do you see maybe yourself now? Are, are you at all like him now with some of the younger players? Um, yeah, he wasn't like that lock talking guy, you know. But he always lead by example. He always. Uh, uh, keep everybody calm. Um, he was, uh, the matter situations, he was available for the media and a uh, great teammate, you know. He knows when grab you and talk to you. Um, when you go through struggles, that's what you need help the most. And he was a type of guy. You were talking with Nelson Cruz. And Nelson, you're getting to know some of your teammates. And I know you're having a really good influence on some of them. So tell me a little bit about what you think so far of Wander. Oh, great kid. He got unbelievable talent. We all know what he can do um, in that part. I think uh, like any young guy, you know, the experience is the one that's going to take you to the next level. And he's a guy that was willing to learn. He was always asking questions. Um, and also if you grab him to give him advice, he's open mind to to those to those uh, ideas and I mean you see in the example he's been working out every day outside try to get better you know and Randy Randy he's another example a great talent you know um, uh, uh, guy that can do it all on the field um, so I mean the whole team is, is built with talent you know talented players young guys they're, they're willing to learn there are two other young guys I'm curious uh, because they've both talked highly of you Brandon Lau and Austin Meadows. Yeah, like I say, uh, the whole group of guys is uh, just talented guys. I mean, they open mind, they willing to learn. Um, I talked a lot to to Meadow about hitting and approach with DH and stuff like that. <laughs> so um, great human beings, you know. So um, uh, I cannot be more enjoyable to be part of this uh, organization and this group of guys. You mentioned when you came, you're still fighting for a World Series. If you were to win a World Series this year, would you still continue to play? Would you still want to continue? Would one be enough? No, I love to continue to play. I think um, when you love something as much uh, as I do love baseball, it's hard uh, for you to just give up. I feel like if I can contribute to success for the team, you know, I want to keep playing. But I go year by year, you know, uh, that will determine what I go. You're only 30, what, 62 homers from 500 as we do this? Would you want, would 500 mean something to you if you could get there? Yeah, it would be special. I think um, that would be a number that not many players in the history of baseball can reach. And that would be said, you know, that would be definitely a goal. When you started playing this game, you did a lot of other things too. Didn't you play some other sports as a kid? And when did baseball become your love? 
I always play baseball as a kid um, on the street, nothing professional or organized or literally or anything like that. But I always play basketball, volleyball at the school, baseball at the school, the street. Um, but I cannot play organized because I was working with my ankle and he shot. I was go to school, work with my ankle, and I had I had time to go out and practice. You know, uh, baseball take um, lights to to be out there and day games. Uh, to practices and I find in basketball you can pull uh, lights in your house and you can shoot basketballs and that was uh, because I love sports that I guess that was the one of the things that I was uh, willing to do to to play sports you know do you have did you have a favorite player then in basketball and who's your favorite guy now oh yeah uh, Michael Jordan was my favorite one <laughs> uh, now it's LeBron good choices obviously <laughs> I think you talked about approach before. Your routine is a special one, and I think guys can learn a lot from that. Tell our fans, what is your daily routine like for a night game like this one? Well, I, I get to the stadium and I do my work at the gym. Um, I go to the cage. Uh, before I come to the stadium, I start in the pitcher that I'm going to face, so I have an idea of what to expect. Some nights I take naps. If I feel like I need to rest or I need to calm down if something is going on. Uh, mentally, I just slow on a, slow everything down. Um, so um, that's basically a part of my routine also. And uh, when I go home, I do my uh, stretch. So I make sure I, I keep my body on shape with that situation, with the uh, loose also, not only to be strong, but also be loose. And it can go for hours stretching and, and, and do the treatments, yeah. You are very, very disciplined, obviously. Your parents, I know, are both, were both teachers. Yeah. How much do you think that helps, having grown up in a, a teaching family? Uh, definitely. That, is, that plays a big role because, I mean, uh, both of them, they, they, they teach me too. So <laughs> imagine I go to school and uh, I was always had to be the example uh, on school and class. I was the first one to be called up in front of the the class to, to talk about what we had that day so it was part of my life and and, and uh, i guess that influenced me to to have the discipline uh with the game of baseball also and to teach your teammates sometimes <laughs> i guess <laughs> yes on this upcoming road trip you go back to minnesota fairly quickly after the trade what will that be like for you <laughs> i don't know that was gonna be weird because uh when you change things, like uh, I was in Texas and then I way into next year to a few months later to to face you, former teammates. Uh, and when I went to Seattle, that was St. K's, and I came to Baltimore, St. K's, but now it's different. I got to face my ex-teammates right away. So that's going to be weird. I think, um, like I said a week ago, um, probably the first about the first few moments of that game will be weird and after that it would just be uh, another game and for people who don't know the story of the boomstick how did you get your nickname i've heard it's an interesting story involving a video game yeah um so in 2009 we, we were making uh, a video of 2k 2k baseball and on the video i called myself i was writing uh, an image of myself hitting the homers and andrew bailey was the other guy who was pitching uh, so he won Rookie of the Year that year, and he was grabbing like, oh, Nelson, you cannot win Rookie of the Year. <laughs> so in my in my draft, I call my bat the bat, uh, the boomstick. And uh, so everywhere I go since then, fans ask me about the boomstick, if I bought my boomstick. And then that's how everything starts.
and obviously it stuck with you for a long time. But what's also stuck with you for a long time is all the great charitable work you've done. How important is that to you, and what are you most proud of that you've done for others? Um, definitely something that um, I learned from my dad. Uh, at a young age, my dad was always involved in uh, activities in my community. Um, he was the creator of the basketball uh, team in a basketball association in my community. Um, he was involved in culture events. Um, so I always saw him leaving the house just to get stuff done for the community. And growing up, I always saw, like, okay, if I got the chance to help, uh, that will be something that I want to do. Um, and through my career and through baseball, I'd be fortunate enough to help a lot of people, bringing ambulance, uh, fire trucks, uh, fire equipment to my community, uh, doing charity events where uh, we can bring uh, big league players, uh, dental clinic, you know, uh, a bunch of stuff through the year we can do to help our community. Um, and I'm so really proud of what I'm doing. You don't do it for recognition, but you were the Muhammad Ali sports humanitarian. What did that mean? Yeah, definitely you start doing stuff just because you think that's the right thing to do, uh, never thinking, oh, I'm going to win this award. But definitely it's, uh, it's an honor and it's nice to to see the people watching what you're doing and uh, inspiring to, to keep doing what you're doing, you know, and keep doing more. Um, so definitely something that uh, motivates you and, and, and keep you keep you on your toes. We'll continue to do good work on the field and off. We appreciate some time, and here's to a great season and hopefully that World Series uh, opportunity and, and win that you're looking for. Uh, thank you. Yes. It's Nelson Cruz, and we'll continue right after this. You're listening to This Week in Race Baseball on the Race Baseball Network. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and one of the great stories in the terrific Race minor league system is pitcher Taj Bradley, who has recently been promoted to Bowling Green and now joins us. Taj, congrats on a great year so far. Yeah, thank you, Neil. Thanks for having me. Before we get to what you've done on the field this year, I, I want to touch on what you did last year during the pandemic because I had heard back to Instructional League that you had made major strides. How did you keep yourself in shape? What did you do? What was your situation like? Uh, as soon as we got back from spring training during the whole quarantine break, uh, all the gyms were shut down, nothing was open, so I had to go find like little tools I can use at home to get at-home workouts done, and throwing-wise, I'll find any friend that could to go toss with. And that's pretty much all. I'll get a bullpen in when I can. So I'm really just finding things I could when I can and just using them at that opportunity. Did you see a big jump when you went to an instructional league? Did you think you had changed or maybe just, you know, physically matured a lot? Um, physically matured, maybe. But I could see a jump, but not as drastic as what... I feel like people say it has been. So it wasn't really a feel thing. It was just, I felt normal, but I guess, yeah, physically changed. And you were, I, I remember, I talked to you right after you were you signed with the Rays. I think you were one of the youngest players in the draft class. How have you grown since that point, and, and how do you see yourself now? Uh, for me, it was more mentally. So, yeah, of course, coming out of high school at 17, I had to learn schedule, timing, routines, and get that down packed as like my base. And then now that's helped me more as I've gone along in my career to keep a routine together to where I feel comfortable for my start days. And my body feels good throughout the, throughout the week, especially like a recovery routine. So really just been 
more of a mental aspect and then the physical aspects of of course come along on its own size wise from a physical standpoint how are you what were you when you were drafted and what are you now so when i was drafted i think i was 6'1 215 and then going into princeton i was 230 and then now i'm at around 210 208 but now i feel like shedding all that weight it's more comfortable for me i can move a little better and get to uh, some different points in my delivery that I wasn't able to before because of the weight. And how is that also, you know, I guess showing itself with your stuff? What, what, were, what was your stuff like when you were coming out of school and where are you at now? So pitch-wise out of high school, they say my fastball is more like a sinking fastball, like low 90s, didn't have a changeup really. I threw like a split and when I got with the Rays, um, it's just a pitch that kind of uh, kind of said, "Not nah, it's not a pitch I need right now." And a curveball, and I had the fastball changeup curveball in Princeton, but I came across a cutter recently, uh, in this previous instructs, and I've been working on it after instructs throughout the rest of the off season, and it's been developing more and more as I've gone along. So right now, I'm primarily fastball cutter changeup. And what's what's the velo separation like between your cutter now and your fastball? So velo wise, I think I'll sit mid nineties with my fastball, and my cutter will be from eighty six to eighty nine, maybe touch ninety once, a few times. How much has that helped your confidence to have that kind of uh, stuff? Obviously, you're having great success. I mean, I take a look at your numbers, and they're eye popping for this year. Uh, so confidence, I feel like yeah, the pitches, but it's more of. I know I can get out and compete against anybody and challenge them and attack them and knowing that I trust my stuff enough to get the job done. Um, I feel as if even if my pitches hadn't physically changed to what they are now, I would still have the same confidence in my in myself to get the job done. Who've been the people who've been who've had a really good impact on you, Taj, whether it's coaches, whether it's fellow teammates who've helped you grow a lot? Because it, it sounds like you've made some major strides, you know, on and off the field. Uh, yeah, so really the whole pitching staff out of the Rays organization, I feel like I've worked with every single one of them, and I've taken bits and pieces from each one to add to my own routine and to add to, yeah, to add to myself. So working in low A, um, pitching coach R.C. Lichtenstein, he's helped me a lot mentally. That's my biggest aspect, I feel like. He's helped me develop the uh, mental confidence and how he says, what is it, athletic arrogance? to like on the on the mound like people don't want to deal with you but you can still be a good teammate and that's really helped me move along and progress throughout this season from my first outing up until now and obviously you've gotten good results too and you got promoted to bowling green and i know you threw shutout ball in your first start for the hot rods what it mean to get promoted in season to you because that's the first time that's happened for you right yeah so uh when they told me like, I wasn't sure what I had to come into the office for, but when they told me I was kind of, like, calm for a second, then it all came together. Like, oh, this is the first time I've been promoted in my career. And um, so it became more excitement and then just eager to get up here and it's a new, ch- uh, new challenge, new level. Um, so I was very excited, yeah. And then I think one of the neat things about the race organization, um, Taj, is that the pitchers compete with one another, but to help one another get better. Who was like your, your catch partner? Who has helped you grow? 
while you were down in Charleston, and and uh, are you reunited with that person in Bowling Green? I know they've had some promotions. Oh uh, yeah, so in Charleston, Stefan Moore. So I was my catch partner early on in the season, and even on off days, we'll go throw in the parking lot around the apartments, and uh, we'll just give back and forth on pitches, what we see, how it's coming in, just giving each other like not advice, but maybe like, oh, if I see you do this, the pitch will be different, or it could be harder, better the break will be different and just taking that advice and going throughout catch play on those off days, you figure stuff out and you can take it into a bullpen or into an outing. And uh, so that's the biggest thing. And then from a starting standpoint or the other starters, I've always heard in a good way, you guys compete, but you guys all help one another grow. Yeah. So in Charleston, like pregame bullpens, all the starters are out there watching it and dap you up as soon as you get done going into the game and when you're not on the mound and you're sitting in the dugout, you got to just talk, talk baseball, talk pitches. How do you attack this hitter and like to get you ready for your next outing on if they face a team uh, previously? Yeah, so it's a lot of back and forth banter. And is there anyone that you're, you grew particularly tight with? Because there are a lot of guys in this system that are having awesome years. I mean, you take a look at the records just that Charleston Bowling Green have alone. It's obviously really good teams. So... It's my third year with this organization, so I've come across, I think, pretty much all the pitchers, and they all are nice to me. Like, I always, in my head, I feel like rage draft personality more than, like, above athletic traits, but because it seems like everybody gets to know each other, gets along well, and so it makes it easier that way. Well, we're real excited for the the growth that you've had this year, and uh, hopefully the, the really awesome season that you've had continues all the way through the end. Uh, Taj, we appreciate some time on This Week in Race Baseball. All right, thanks so much, Neil. And that's race prospect Taj Bradley. So far this season, he's 10-3 and with a 163 ERA. He's got 85 strikeouts in 72 innings and has allowed only 39 hits. And maybe most impressive, two runs allowed his last 35 innings. Coming up on This Week in Race Baseball, we'll hear from Dave and Andy out in Baltimore, Chad Matola on the impact of Nelson Cruz, Rob Metzler on signing the entire draft class, and Chad Jennings of The Athletic on the next series with the Rays. You're listening to This Week in Race Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Race Baseball. Neil Solon's with you today from Ferg's out in St. Pete, getting you set for first pitch race in Orioles, and joining us now from Baltimore on This Week in Race Baseball, Dave and Andy, and uh, afternoon, fellas, if I would have told you 51 games left in the season, the Rays will be three up in the division, having all the injuries that they've had this year, what would you have said? I'd feel very good about it, and yet I don't necessarily feel secure in the fact that it's going to be a smooth ride to the end. I think there's definitely bumps to come, uh, but look, the Rays are playing great baseball. They've got this three-game lead with 51 to go, but they're going to have to play the Red Sox quite a bit, and the Red Sox are struggling quite a bit right now. Uh, so I think that this homestand for Boston coming up, in particular the series against the Rays, is very important for them. It's important for the Rays, but it's very important for the Red Sox. You know, I was talking to Kevin Cash about it the other day, and, uh, you know, Kevin was raving about how the Yankees have been able to hold it all together with their injuries. And I said, well, I said, what? I said, have you looked in the mirror? Have you seen what we've had to deal with? And he goes, well, that's just what we do. And I'm like, seriously. I mean, it, it's amazing that this team is where it's at, given the injuries and some of the departures. I mean, even going back to last year, I mean, you look at this Rays team, we're built on run prevention, and you, you think about, all right, the top three starters from last year are not here right now with Glass now, Morton, and Snell, and are back into the bullpen. Probably the top four, five, or six guys 
aren't there? And yet here we are with a bullpen uh, made up of a bunch of guys that, uh, again, other teams had and didn't want, and the Rays were able to find ways to maybe you know tweak this and adjust this. And next thing you know, they've been uh, very, very good bullpen guys for the Tampa Bay Rays. But Andy's right, and you guys are right. I mean, it, you know, there's still 50-some games left to go in the season. There's going to be a bump in the road here and there. I think all of us would love to see the Yankees fall off and uh, go bye-bye, but that's not happening. So uh, I think what we've been saying almost from the beginning was that this is going to be a four-horse race uh, till the uh, finish line, and I still get that feeling that there's going to be four teams battling for two or three spots come uh, late September into October. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. As we come down this stretch, to me, the most impressive thing, especially since he's arrived, has been the Nelson Cruz factor. How impressed have you been with the overall lineup since he's arrived uh, to this point? Well, you know, we, we all know Brandon Lau, and Brandon's not a guy that's going to uh, gush about a whole lot. He's a pretty stoic individual when it comes to the way he plays and the way he's at the uh, plate. And we talked to him after the game last night, and uh, he, he, he just he's elated that there's a Nelson Cruz in the lineup. And if he's elated, what's everybody else like? I mean, so, you know, he knows what kind of uh, uh, adjustment pitchers have to make when they are, are talking about a Nelson Cruz and the professional approach that he brings. I think it was a perfect example here the other night on Friday when uh, he had a couple of opportunities to knock in runs in his first couple of at-bats, didn't get the job done, but didn't go back to the dugout, didn't pout, didn't start squeezing the sawdust out of the bat and came back and hit the big three-run home run that tied the game and then did the same thing yesterday. So he, he's, a, he's a big influence from top to bottom. Kevin Cash was asked about it today uh, in the Zoom, and uh, he gave that answer again that uh, the guys above him are probably going to be uh, uh, getting pitches a little bit differently because of the fact that they know where Nelson is in the lineup. And then, as we've always said before, maybe the guys behind him will also get some better pitchers because, all right, they'll think, all right, I'm done with Nelson. But then here come the next guys that might uh, be able to get something because of a fall off. Yeah, and even when we don't ask other players about Nelson Cruz, they bring him up. I mean, Meadows brought it up the other day. Like Dave said, Lau brought it up, whether we asked him or not. His impact is large. And I think it's interesting, too, even on Wander Franco's uh, home run, he sent out a a picture on his Instagram about uh, I homered uh, along with my dad or something like that. That tells you that they already have a, a pretty good relationship. So I can't help but think, Neil, that even though Cruz's impact on this team is large and growing and will be important for the rest of this year, who knows if we'll be back with the Rays for next year. But his impact, I think, will stay with the Rays, in particular Wander and Rosarena and some of the other guys that he has had an effect on already. He's only been here a couple of weeks. Yeah, I saw that post. It was pretty cool, and I hope fans will check that out. And while the Rays are fourth in the majors in runs per game, which is amazing, um, they're still built on pitching and defense. And I thought every start that we've seen from Shane McClanahan, including last night, we've seen him grow in terms of the way he pitches and also his maturity. It will be nice to avoid the one blip every game, but, boy, did he recover well from it yesterday. A 30-pitch third, but no more than, what, 13 pitches in any other inning. So he was very, very efficient. And if he could trim that 30-pitch inning down to, I don't know, a 15 or 20, then you're looking at a guy that could go eight innings in a game. I think the Rays were very excited that he was able to not only turn it around, Dave, but able to get through that seventh inning. That seems like a big step. Uh, You know, it was impressive. Uh, And like we said, here's a guy that if I had to pick an opening day or a 
uh, a game one starter uh, for the postseason right now would be him. I, I think that you know the the third inning hiccup that he had yesterday. Uh, a lot of pitchers are going to have that, and, and and this is a guy making his 17th start in the big leagues, and was able to limit the damage, keep his team within striking distance, and they ultimately went on to win the game. But you know, I'd like to see his, I liked his efficiency. Uh, I, I think again in talking to some of the coaches here the last couple of times that he's been on the mound, uh, they 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 like where he's trending. They really really do, and. I think most people that have followed uh, Shane McClanahan here so far for the Rays feel that we're just seeing the very, very beginning of what could be a really, really good Major League pitcher. Neil, and I know you can have appreciation for this also, but you know, coming through the Rays system, it seems like guys have arrived in tandems. And to think that McClanahan and Patino, one lefty that throws hard with a, with a good slider and one righty that throws hard with a good slider, that could be a really impressive top couple in the rotation for years to come. And there could be another Shane, too, as we've got about two <laughs> minutes left in the segment. Um, your your biggest concerns down the stretch, is it simply just getting health, or is it the pitching? Well, I think that is one and the same. I think if we get healthy, then our pitching, I think, is going to be fine. I mean, uh, you know, you start getting some of those uh, those guys back that, uh, you know, we've, we've been waiting for. Get Fairbanks back. Uh, McHugh coming back yesterday and hopefully shaking off some of the ring rust uh, was a good idea to get him in for just an inning yesterday. Uh, looking at, you know, what uh, Fire Eisen brings to the table. Uh, Ryan Thompson and the, uh, the experience that he was able to gain last year pitching in the 60 games plus the postseason. So uh, I think if uh, the, the injuries, if those guys start coming back, Chris Archer, I think he's one of the wild cards too. I mean, we'll... we'll Chris Archer come back and be a guy that we can depend on for some length and you know and, and go from there. So I think it's hand in hand, Neil. I think uh, we got to get the, pitch, the, the the guys that are on the shelf. If we get them healthy, I think it solidifies our pitching even more, uh, and uh, and we'll, we're we're going to be fine. But uh, I think that uh, you know again we. we there's still a couple of guys we can't we can't afford to lose any more pitchers. I mean, especially the guys that are providing us length right now, because I think it'd be too hard to get guys stretched out between now and the end of the season to cover some of those innings. Yeah, I mean, I have concern. I'm always going to have concerns. You know, it's never going to be always smooth. I think the 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 teams that won 100, 810 games, you're not going to see that this year or maybe much going forward. You're you're seeing a team that's going to have to deal with adversity throughout the year, and the fact that they have changed over so much, there's a little bit of a different chemistry going on. It's a good chemistry going on, but I look forward to the bullpen guys coming back. That will help, help me to feel better. When Thompson can return to what he's doing and has done, and Fairbanks can as well, those two guys to me are very big. And let's not forget Fire Eyes, and I think is very important. These guys that have held the fort in the bullpen have been good, but I think we are going down the stretch, you're going to need some of those mainstays back. Guys, great stuff. Uh, good call today in Baltimore. Thanks for helping me do my job. <laughs> Same to you. <laughs> the least you could have done was send us some wings from Ferg's or something. We're starving up here. But thanks. It was, it was good to chat with you guys. Have fun. Uh, all right. Thanks again. That's David Andy joining us from Baltimore. You heard from Nelson Cruz earlier on the program. I also had a chance to chat with the Rays hitting coach, Chad Matola about Nelson's impact so far. It's something we've never really had in a long time here, probably since long ago, just a veteran presence. To hear it from their peer rather than from the coaching staff all the time, it's just another voice that uh, they get to hear a different perspective from for sure. How much does it help in the now, and how much do you think it'll help long-term with these guys just to get some of those lessons earlier in their careers? Uh, the growth speeds up for all aspects. Even veterans share ideas with veterans, so it doesn't matter what age or how long they've been in the league. This guy brings a perspective from a couple different organizations, uh, a lot of life perspective of struggling, then figuring out, then struggling again. So the ups and downs, the approach, the daily routine, a little bit of everything involved. 
Does it help to in game just have a he may see whether a guy's tipping pitches or whether just adjustments guys can make or patterns a guy's falling into? Uh, yeah, it's another set of eyes, but it's one of these things that it, he is taking time to learn people's personalities, the way they approach things. So he's not stepping in and being this, I'm going to take everything over, which is the right way to do it. He's kind of observing guys, seeing their nuances, seeing the way they do things during the game, and then stepping in. So it hasn't been this whirlwind coming in. He's respecting guys' space and then offering encouragement probably more after the game right now. We've seen a lot of guys play well since he arrived. Who do you think he's having the greatest effect on, whether it's because... So he's hitting in front of someone or just because of his influence? I just think his presence. The day one, it was a bunch of, uh, including the coaching staff, kids at a candy store all excited to see him around and the energy was up. So there's not one guy he's signaling, signaling, singling out. It's more of a group effort from everybody. Wander Franco obviously has done much, much better, though, since he's arrived. How do you think he's helped? And is it more he's moved down in the lineup, maybe a little less pressure? I think it's more Wander's been around a little bit, got the experience. I mean, 20 years old, coming in with all the expectations. He probably was doing a little too much, and now he's just getting comfortable more than anything else. And Randy? Uh, Randy's showing signs. Randy's one of the guys I keep saying that I'm not worried about. It's one of these things that once he finally accepts the base hit, everything's going to fall in place, and that's kind of happening more often. And I think in Brandon Lau's case, he already was going well. But how much can let's say he or Austin Meadows benefit from uh, a guy like Nelson? Well, and then you throw Choi out there, who's been hitting before him, getting some fastballs and, uh, and counts where he usually doesn't. So, it, as you see, the the endless influence he has is great to have around. And that's Rays hitting coach Chad Matola, and hopefully the Rays have an impact bat like a Nelson Cruz, who knows, in their recently signed draft class. Tampa Bay signed all of its players before the August 1st deadline, which was a week ago today. Rob Metzler heads up the draft, and Rob, uh, were you uh, surprised that you were able to get it done so quickly? You were done, what, five days before that deadline? Yes, it was outstanding. We, we, I think the deadline was Sunday, and we were we were complete on on Tuesday night, which was which was awesome news. We were able to sign all twenty one draft picks and two after the draft pitchers, so that we had twenty three players come through for you know couldn't credit our staff in the field, our, our staff in the office, and, and certainly the medical team with player development for, for the ability to handle that that number of players in that short a time. It, it was it was awesome work by by a great team. Was this the best year you guys have had in terms of that? Not counting last year because obviously shortened draft pandemic etc best best is a little bit subject i mean it, it went very smoothly we've had recently we've had relatively good luck physicals going going smoothly and, and not any surprises in the past few years which has been great news i'm trying to think i think in 19 i don't i don't think we went too close to the deadline on anything either so that that was great so the past few years have been relatively smooth other years not due to anybody's fault or any you know sometimes just the process takes a little bit longer to get all the all the negotiations complete and all the medicals done but this year year was 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 excellent for sure and and it certainly appreciated for for the Metzler family for a little extra extra sleep and, and lower stress is there anything that you guys have done with your process the last few years that has made it maybe not an easier overall system but just to get your draft pick signed where you're not worrying about last minute at the deadline no I, I don't think there's anything tangibly I mean significantly different to the process I mean I think it, it's relatively similar it's just sometimes the way the draft goes you're seeing very much eye to eye with with players and and their their teams you know in terms of negotiations and other times so other times there might be some 
more, you know, more might be more to work through post draft and in, in recent drafts that side of things have gone has gone pretty smoothly and and um, and certainly the, the medical team. I mean, I guess we do have a lot of a lot of familiarity with Aaron Scott and his team with on the minor league side, minor, minor league training side, and and we have a lot of familiarity. You know, from an office standpoint, we've had our our group together for quite some time, so just having that familiarity helps quite a bit. Now, it, this year obviously was a little different in that you don't have the short seasons to send them out to. You just have the complex league. Are you checking much just to see what kind of shape guys came in after you signed them, how they're faring, and how much of that you know will help with the process for future years like next season? We're checking very closely on how everybody's doing and how everybody's coming in. Just depending, it's a case by case basis on on the players. You know, so some players might have been quote unquote down. You know, since you know their season ended in the middle of May, and other other players might have been you know pretty you know, pretty active. You know, in terms of baseball activity through you know a combine in late June. You know, late later college season. So every player and what they've been doing has been a little bit different. So what you know communication with players you know with the scouting staff and with our player development team to you know know exactly what they're doing and, and allow for a smooth you know smooth assimilation into life at the complex is, is crucial and, it, and it's gone well for, from all accounts so far and i think probably the last higher pick that you guys signed was uh, ryan spikes how much of that just had to do with the process and trying to manage your bonus pool versus you know how difficult the signing may or may not have been yeah, that, that was it was it was a great process with Ryan and, and his group. You know, just that was just purely bonus pool management and how he was the last one to come in. So and we were uh, but that that was a very smooth process. And we're, we're really, really pumped to have him in the organization. It was, it was great to spend time with him at the, the Yankees game on Tuesday night. Only, only negative was we came short, came up short in that one. But the rest of the homestand got a little better. It definitely did. Can you touch, Rob, too, on now how you balance now, while you're doing that, you're also preparing for the upcoming draft. You had, you know, the the event that was at Tropicana Field, and you've been. When, how long have you been on the road now? So, how do you balance it? The best way to balance it, Neil, is to have have a great team. So, we, we've even before the draft started, we had scouting staff out working on the 2022 draft, both at the Cape, at you know, at summer events, at high school tournaments, um, and then very quickly after, I think I mentioned last time we talked, very quick. The day after the draft, the PG National Showcase, which is a big high school high school event, happened at the Trop, and we and we went turned the page very quickly. Now, I personally, I, I was working more on the signings and making sure that all those players had had a good experience. But the rest of our staff, or the vast majority of our staff, turned the page very quickly and headed out to see the Collegiate Team USA, to see Cape Cod League, the high school PDP League, and now currently I'm catching up. I'm I'm in Hoover for the uh, for the East Coast Pro Showcase. We'll be going from here to, to San Diego for the area code. So it's a, it's a fun time of year just because you're you know tightening up you know the 2021 group and and immediately getting to getting to know some exciting players from next year's class and and, and that's fun. But it's also a little bit draining too. It'll be nice to maybe the back half of August have some relaxing visits to the affiliates and, and get spend catch up with staff from kind of other silos within the organization. It'll be quite fun to do that as well. And it's almost like a timeline for you guys, right? You're getting guys at a certain point in their high school or college careers now uh, and getting a real feel for how they are. And then it's, okay, how did they grow into the spring and what kind of jumps did they make and how can we project that guy going forward, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, I will say it's, you know, it's a process that requires patience, you know, for sure, because it's not every time the, the 2022s or 2023s, you know, anywhere along your development 
timeline. It just, it's not always easy. It's not always, you know, the best players are not always obvious. And sometimes spending a bunch of time seeing them over the course of 20 or 30 games, you can see the skills and attributes and projection more clearly than, you know, here, this is a four game event here in Hoover. And then, you know, some of the players that we're most excited about, you know, likely will be will be very good but you know there will probably be some others here who didn't separate themselves out quite as much to you know maybe in the next event or maybe you know later in the fall or maybe in the spring you know show us show us what they can do a little bit more so just it takes time to to work your way through and 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 build the board as best as possible which is certainly not easy is it any easier with some of the video you guys now get how much does that supplement what you can't see in person? It just it helps to have a more complete complete look for sure. I mean, it, it, we we have a, a pretty pretty conclu- inclusive database of, of video for for all these players, all these events. So whether it be you know going back to rewatch some of the film from from this event to to see you know just to rewatch a player's at bats and, and get a better sense for where a pitch might have been located or where, where they might have been missing you know in the strike zone or to to watch events that your individual scout wasn't able to attend but get a more complete view of best you know the best a player might have been or the worst a player might have been during during the course of their travels uh is is very helpful in, in, in being as accurate as possible and projecting their futures we know you have a lot of work ahead uh hopefully you do get to catch a break at some point later on in the month, but we appreciate uh, some time to talk about the last draft class and looking forward at the next one. Uh, Rob Metzler here on This Week in Race Baseball. Thanks, Neil. And that's the race, Rob Metzler. Time now to take a look at the immediate future with Chad Jennings of The Athletic. He covers the Boston Red Sox. And, Chad, round two of four over a very short time between the Rays and Boston. It seems right now that uh, it's going from really a two-team race back to a four-team race. Surprised at all? I am surprised by how quickly it got this close. You know, I mean, I think everybody knew. I mean, I think all four teams, you know, you could see a path for all four to be good from the start of the season. Obviously, the Red Sox were kind of the most surprising team. They probably had the most things go right. That a lot of kind of everybody stayed healthy early um, and that that helped them kind of get off to that lead. But, you know, it felt like, I mean, gosh, it feels like a week ago that it felt like they're still kind of in control of this thing. And now, I mean, it very much, they are not, <laughs> you know, it just, it just happened really fast. And, uh, you know, it was kind of right there at the, when they were in Tampa, right there at the trade deadline, um, you know, getting swept in that series, that's changed things for the Red Sox a lot. And I think has really opened up the division. You know, the thing that stood out to me at the end of that series was you rarely hear with two months to go, a player almost say this is a must win game. And for Xander Bogarts to kind of say that and then not win that last game, what did that mean to you? Well, one, I think it meant that they haven't, they had not lost that much. I mean, they, before that, their longest losing streak of the year was three games. So, so I think for them, that felt like a big deal. You know, I mean, that, was, that would have been, what, their fourth loss in a row that Sunday game. And, you know, teams lose four in a row. That's, that's just not all that crazy. But that's not something this team had gone through yet. And so I think it maybe felt some, that added to the urgency but also, they're aware, you know. I mean, the Red Sox know that they, they had sort of been a surprise team, and I think they fed off of that a little bit. But they look around and know how tight this division is. They know how good the Rays are. I mean, that they felt like they really needed that. If they could win that Sunday game, they would have moved back into first place. And then you kind of feel like maybe you haven't let it go, right? There's still some momentum to, to build. I think it tells you, though, that that the teams in this division are very aware that, I mean, look, there's, only, there's, <laughs> there's not room for all of them. 
right? I mean, even if you factor in the wild card, somebody's going to be left out. So uh, I think they're all aware of that. And uh, when it's that tight, two months doesn't feel like a lot of time. I mean, you can't you can't let things get too far away right now. You know, you mentioned that the the Red Sox have been healthy and probably the healthiest of the the four teams in this race. But are you maybe seeing some guys who aren't usually making every single start start to fatigue a little bit because it it seems like the starting numbers have really tailed off the last month for Boston. Yeah, there's no question and that was not the plan. You know, they had for the first time in a long time the Red Sox had actual rotation depth this year. But the bulk of it where they were really counting on it were three young guys in AAA, Brian Mata, Connor Seabold and Tanner Houck. And so at the start of the year, I mean, they broke camp with essentially six starters. They had Houck up to make some spot starts early and that was the plan kind of throughout the year they were going to keep bringing one of those guys in to be a six starter keep everybody kind of rested you don't have to lean too heavily on these guys and that they were going to do that constantly so while their big league rotation stayed healthy their triple a rotation is what got hurt brian mata had tommy john surgery right out of spring training connor siebel got hurt he also had an elbow issue like right at the start of kind of mid-April, you know, just before the AAA season was about to begin. And then Tanner Houck made his, he made two spot starts very early in the year in April. And then he too went down. He had a flexor or something. I can't remember, but it kept him, but that messed up their whole plan to sort of really limit the workload on these guys. They should have been able to weather that and get to this point with those guys not having as many innings under their belt. But that didn't work. The, the depth is where, is where they had some injuries. And, um, and I think that you're right. I think because of that, maybe we're seeing some fatigue set in. And, I mean, the ban on sticky substances has clearly affected Garrett Richards quite a bit. You know, he's a guy who, uh, in his spin rate was always sort of his superpower, right? And that's, that's why they, it's a big part of why they signed him. He pitched very, very well until the league mandate came down and, and he's been a very different pitcher since then. So I don't know that his is so much fatigue so much as, I mean, he, he has admitted, I mean, he is basically having to figure out how to pitch all over again. Um, and so you can put all those factors together. And yeah, I mean, that really the only reliable starter they have right now is Nathan Avaldi. It's the, the rest are kind of very, very up and down and uh, unpredictable from one start to the next. And Nathan has an injury history as well. The Red Sox are likely to get Chris Sale back. I chatted with Pete Abraham last week, and he basically thinks that he's kind of the linchpin for whether Boston wins the division and makes the playoffs or not. What's your take? Yeah, I think he's obviously he, he's, he's key. And um, because that's, you know, the, the only moves they made pitching-wise at the deadline were to get Hansel Robles and uh, uh, Austin Davis, you know, a couple of relievers, you know, help them with depth. And, and, you know, it's not that you, those are sort of typical, you know, secondary trade deadline moves. But for a team that so clearly has some issues going on in the rotation, I was surprised that they didn't make a move for at least some sort of back-end starter, right? I mean, even if it's not a, a big name who you think is going to make an impact. And so because of that, I think it, it's pretty clear they're counting on, they need Sale to come in and be good. And, and I think you could see Tanner Houck step into a full-time role in the rotation as well. And if that happens, then you can change things around, right? You could, you could maybe go with Evaldi, Eduardo Rodriguez, Nick Pavetta, and then Sale and Hauk, and now you've, you've pretty significantly changed your rotation coming down the stretch. But, yeah, you know, there's risk in that. You know, I mean, Hauk's pretty young and, and also is a guy who typically does not go more than five innings in a start. 
with Sale, obviously they're going to be careful. I mean, he's not gonna, they're not going to ask him to be a workhorse. So, you know, they can maybe piece this together with some starters who can go five, maybe six innings at a time. But as, as important as Sale is and, and perhaps Hauk, they're, they're going to need the bullpen to pick up some slack there because they, they have some, they're going to have innings, right? That, they, that even if, if Sale's great, Sale's not going to pitch seven innings every time. No doubt. And the other piece of this is, at least in the series against the Rays, Chad, I, I thought that Boston's lineup looked a little bit fatigued. And maybe it was the fact that they played a night game on Thursday night before flying all the way down to Tampa Bay. But they are playing Devers every day, Bogarts every day, Martinez every day. Their core has basically stayed intact. You know, we talk about pitching fatigue going from 60 to 162. Can there be position player fatigue with this group also? Yeah, and you know, that's another one where, again, as you say, they've stayed healthy, right? They've been able to play Devers and Xander and all these guys pretty much every day. But again, it's the depth guys that got hurt. Marwin Gonzalez was hurt. Danny Santana's hurt. Christian Arroyo's hurt. Those are the guys that they were subbing in a lot to give occasional breaks to the regulars. And when they were hurt, then I think they started needing to lean on those guys more often. And instead of them getting, you know, a day off every two weeks, every 10 days, whatever it was, or at least a DH day, they're starting to play more. And so there, there could be some fatigue that's set in there. I also think that this is a team that has, uh, you know, they, like 33 come from behind wins, right? The most in the, in the majors. There's a certain energy to them. And I do think when they, they went through sort of a rough stretch where really only Devers and Kike Hernandez were hitting, Cora has hinted at it that it was a shot at the confidence a little bit, and, and they sort of lost a little bit of that mojo. So I don't know if it's fatigue, physical fatigue, or if it's sort of an emotional, mental fatigue that kind of set in of like, oh gosh, man, we're all kind of in a rut right now, whether that's because they're, they're tired, which is certainly possible, but it also might be just four or five guys all kind of hitting a slump at the same time, and it kind of spreading to everyone feeling like, oh no, this is, this is not good, and we don't have sort of the, the, the strength that we had most of the season. Well, for all that's happened, there are still 10 big meetings between the Rays and Red Sox. Should be entertaining. Chad, we certainly appreciate some time to chat about Boston going into this week's series on This Week in Rays Baseball. Hey, it's my pleasure. Anytime. And that is Chad Jennings of The Athletic. And thanks to him and all the guests in the show today, Dave and Andy, Nelson Cruz, Taj Bradley, Chad Matola, and Rob Metzler. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, Tweet me at Neil Solons. Next week, you'll hear from JT Shagwa about his first couple weeks with the Rays and much more. For producer Rob Roman, I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next on the Rays Baseball Network.